if you've heard me preach before, you might have heard me talk about C.S. Lewis and uh, my love of his books and his writing. If, you, if you've heard of C.S. Lewis, you might have probably heard of him as the writer of the, the Narnia stories. And those stories are a great um, allegory, aren't they, of, of what happens in the Bible. They tell us a lot about um, the Bible story, but translated into a different setting. But as well as being um, an author and um, an amazing scholar as well, he was a professor of, of medieval English, Lewis occasionally preached. And some of his sermons were broadcast by the BBC during World War II. You might have heard me uh, tell the story before. Um, it was known that in, in pubs in London where they had BBC radio on during World War II, that the barman would turn the radio up as Lewis came on to preach and that people would go quiet to listen to what he had to say. Several of his sermons from the Second World War were gathered together in a book called The Weight of Glory. And in one of those sermons, Lewis said this, Never, in peace or war, commit your virtue or your happiness to the future. Happy work is best done by the man who takes his long-term plans somewhat lightly and works moment to moment as to the Lord. Moment to moment as to the Lord. It's only our daily bread that we're encouraged to ask for. The present is the only time in which any duty can be done or any grace received. And as we read through these verses from Genesis chapter 14, we can see that Abram, or Abraham, and I apologize if I slip into Abraham rather than Abram, it's, it's gonna, get, gonna get confusing. Um, we can see that he's in a time where there's been some war, there's been some conflict. But he does the work that the Lord has had put for him. He thinks back onto the promises that the Lord has given him. And moment to moment in these verses, we'll see not only Abram, but Melchizedek doing their duty, moment to moment, doing their works, moment to moment, as to the Lord. We'll also see another character who goes the opposite direction and thinks only of himself. And we'll have a little think about what the consequences for that character are as well. So before we go down into these verses, let's just spend a moment in prayer asking God to open them up to us and help, him, uh, help us to understand what it is that he's got to say to us this morning from these verses. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you again that we can be here this morning, gathered together as a family, gathered together as a group of people who you've brought together, connected by the body broken and the blood spilled of Jesus. We thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can come together in your family. We thank you for this, this gathering, this group that is your local family here. 
And Lord, just pray that as we, as we turn together to your word, that you'd help us to each understand, help us each to um, be clear about things that, that we can be, uh, be thinking about this week to draw closer to you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, uh, to see how we can um, draw closer to you through what we learn of how Melchizedek and Abram respond to you in these verses, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be clear and faithful in explaining these verses. Lord, I pray that you'd teach me, and I pray that you'd teach all of us this morning. Amen. So as, uh, as Jason said, we've moved on here into um, Genesis chapter 14 and into verse 17. And so I just wanted to give a quick recap, as Jason's already done, just to really ground us, just so that we know exactly, exactly where we are. Um, Genesis 12 begins the story of Abram and begins the story that's really going to uh, flow through the rest of the book of Genesis. And I'm just going to read again from Gen uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, just so that we're, we're clear on um, that call to Abram that the Lord gives. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And as we've already heard this morning, Abram travels. He travels towards that promised land. He's there for a bit. And then he goes away from the place that God has uh, instructed him to be. He travels back to Egypt, as Chris uh, spoke about last week. And while he's in Egypt, he deceives Pharaoh as well, again, as Chris was talking about last week. Then uh, he goes back to the land that God has promised. And as Jason said just before, Abram and his nephew, Lot, who's been traveling around with him, go their separate ways. Abram is in the, the land that God has promised, and Lot goes to the fertile ground. And yeah, as Jason alluded to, there's a there's a kind of Hollywood sequence at the beginning of uh, Genesis chapter 14. I was saying to Jason earlier in the week, I'm amazed that nobody's picked the, the first part of Genesis 14 up and made a, a blockbuster film out of it. There's a lot of action going on in there. As there's this uh, kind of battle and war between uh, a group of kings and Lot is captured uh, by the king, by one of the kings, and Abram takes the men from his house and goes off and rescues Lot and rescues all of the possessions of the other kings that have been stolen by the, the warring kings. And so this is where we find Abram at the beginning of Genesis 14 and verse 17. After his return from defeating Chedar and the kings who were with him, Abram is greeted by the king of Sodom, who goes out to meet him at this place called the King's Valley. And so if you, if you find out about the King's Valley, it's kind of east of Jerusalem. So if you can imagine a map of Israel, it's a little bit to the east of Jerusalem. 
And the king of Sodom is not the only king who is there uh, at this time. Verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And so Melchizedek is the first character that I want to think about as we think through these verses this morning. He is the king, we're told, of Salem. And that word Salem, that place name Salem, kind of gives us, um, it's linked to the Hebrew word shalom, which you might know as the Hebrew word for peace. And it's not just peace as in an absence of conflict. It's the peace that God gives, the kind of total resting in God, peace. And some people think uh, that this reference to a place called Salem is the first reference in the Bible as well to Jerusalem. So some people think that Melchizedek maybe was the first king mentioned of Jerusalem. Who knows? And again, we'll, ha- we'll think again that there could be lots of specu- there's lots of speculation about who Melchizedek was. We're going to park a lot of that uh, this morning. But we'll, just to mention there that, that some people do think he was maybe the first king of Jerusalem mentioned here in the Bible. But what we do know is his name, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, if you take that name, it means either king of righteousness or my king is righteousness. King of righteousness or my king is righteousness. But then listen to what else is told in verse 18 about Melchizedek. He was priest of God most high. If Melchizedek is priest of God most high, his king is righteousness, isn't, isn't it? His, his king is God if he's the priest of God most high. So his king is righteousness. His name reflects some of his character. And it's interesting here that um, God, most, God is called God most high. Elsewhere in Jerusalem, God gets, uh, sorry, in Genesis, God gets some other um, characteristics that we see that go with his name. It happens fairly regularly in Genesis. So we, we see that God is called the God of seeing, or God Almighty, or God everlasting, or God of Israel. And here, he's God most high. And Abram himself will say later on, that he has lifted his hand to the Lord, to the God of the whole of the rest of the Bible, God most high. And so we can see that he's using it there to to link back to to the God that we're talking about, the God of the Bible, God our Father. And so Melchizedek is a priest of God most high the Lord God Most High. So what does it mean for him to be a priest? Well, in the Old Testament, a priest is a mediator, somebody who goes and represents God to the people, and so presents God to the people who are around, but also represents the people back to God. And so Melchizedek is 
is here as a representative of God, this mediator between God and the people. And he brings to Abraham a priestly meal. He brings bread and he brings wine, just as we've taken bread and juice this morning. And as he brings this priestly meal, he blesses Abram. Remember back Genesis 12, 1 to 3? I will bless those who bless you. Melchizedek blesses Abram and says, Blessed be Abram. By who? By God most high. The God of whom Melchizedek is a priest. Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now this, this prayer of blessing is worth having a think about as well, isn't it? Because he says, blessed be Abram by God most high. Abram has already received the promises from God. Maybe this is a real encouragement to Abram. He's wandered away from the land. He's come back to the land, but he did wander away into Egypt. He, in, in the earlier chapters, deceives Pharaoh, yet God's blessing is still being called on him. The promises are still there for him. And Melchizedek recognizes as well, God most high is the possessor of heaven and earth. This ownership of the creation of God is what's rejected by those who we've seen earlier, in earlier chapters have sinned against God. The ones who have murdered, the ones who have um, caused God grief so that he sends the flood, the ones who have tried to build a tower so that they can reach the heavens themselves. They want to take ownership of what God has created, but it's God who is possessor of heaven and earth that Melchizedek recognizes here. And then Melchizedek says, and blessed be God most high. So what does it mean for Melchizedek to bless God? This is something that I, you know, when I was a, a lot younger, I used to read verses like this and say, what is, what, how does that work? How can we, we, God's creation, how can we bless God? What does, that, what does that mean? We can't give him things to make him bigger or better. What does it mean to bless God? And Melchizedek in saying, blessed be God most high, is saying, I am giving you, God most high, the praise, the worship, the glory that is due to you due to your name, because you have delivered the enemies of Abram into his hand. And so, God doesn't need the blessing from Melchizedek. He doesn't need Melchizedek's praise. It's not going to change who God is. God is still God most high if Melchizedek doesn't come and bless him here. But he deserves it because of what he has done and who he is. And after 
after this battle, after going and rescuing Lot from the land uh, of these other kings and, and the captive, captiveness from these other kings, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, writes, it must have been refreshing for Abram to meet a kindred spirit, one who recognizes God most high in Melchizedek. Now, uh, Jason read before from Psalm 110. We're not going to go uh, deep into what else the Bible has to say to us about Melchizedek today. That's a sermon for another time, next week, in fact. Um, but I do want you to notice that Melchizedek is mentioned again. Psalm 110, where one who is like Melchizedek, a priest and a king, is God's eternal king. A priest and a king who is sat at God's right hand in power. That right hand of God, given all the power of God. And then you can go to Hebrews, and you can read through Hebrews 5, 6, 7, and you can see this verse quoted again and again and again. The idea of a priest and a king of the order of Melchizedek. And you can see that the perfect priest king, the eternal priest king, who sits at God's right hand, is Jesus. And you can see in those verses in Hebrews that the writer says, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, of one that is better than the, the law that we see later on in the Old Testament. The one through whom that promise that all the nations will be blessed through the family of Abram comes to fruition. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant and is the eternal priest and king through whom we can bring our praise to God most high, blessing him for everything that he's done for us. Even though he doesn't need that praise, we can bring it to God because he deserves it from us. And just like Abram was rece received bread and wine from Melchizedek, Spurgeon writes again that Jesus meets us as Melchizedek met Abram and brings us bread and wine. But the bread and wine that Jesus brings us is more sustaining and more comforting to our spirit, to our soul, than the bread and wine that Melchizedek gave to Abram, because it's Jesus' flesh and blood that brings us back into a relationship with God. And so we can see that as as Melchizedek blesses Abram, the promise that those who bless Abram will be blessed by God is fulfilled in the way that God then uses Melchizedek as an example 
of what Jesus is perfectly, a priest and a king. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a king. I don't need a priest to come to God because we have Jesus, our great high priest. But Melchizedek is gracious to Abram, isn't he? We can learn from how he responds to Abram. He comes, he sees that Abram has done something and he is gracious to him. And he comes and he praises God for the work that Abram has done in bringing Lot and freeing Lot. He encourages Abram and refreshes Abram. And he does that not because Abram is his own flesh and blood, but because he recognizes what Abram has done and he recognizes the work that God is doing through Abram. And as we gather as a family, as we gather together as a family under Jesus, how can I be a blessing to you? How can I meet you and encourage you and refresh you as Melchizedek did with Abram? How can we take time this week to think about encouraging each other, refreshing each other? Maybe it's something as simple as somebody who you know and just from the, from the church and just dropping them a text during the week, giving them a call, finding out how they are, talking to them. Maybe there's people who you know who need more encouragement, more refreshment than that. Maybe there's people who you can be praying for this week. People who you can be uh, sharing verses of encouragement with people who you can be sharing with the things that God is doing in your life and the way that God is working in you as well. But I'd encourage you to take Melchizedek as an example this week for you as well to find ways that we can be a blessing to our family here together, refreshing and encouraging each other. So we need to move quickly through the rest of, rest of these verses. But um, after, after this blessing, Abram gives a tenth of everything that he has brought back from the battle to Melchizedek. He gives effectively a tithe to Melchizedek. And then the second king comes into our story, the king of Sodom. If you read back in uh, the rest of Genesis chapter 14, you'll find that the king of Sodom is one of the kings who has really suffered in this uh, battle. All of his possessions, everything that makes him a king, has been taken by the kings that Abram has defeated. And so, a little bit like a, a, little bit like a pantomime villain, he comes along and he goes, give me the people. Make me a king again, Abram. Give me back what is mine. But of course, everything actually belongs now to Abram. All the possessions that he has brought back from the battle are rightly his. And so unlike Melchizedek, who comes giving refreshment and blessing, the king of Sodom is ungracious to Abram. He's surly. Give me 
the people. Small-minded, wanting to build himself up rather than encouraging and blessing Abram and giving praise to God for what God has done. All of this is rightfully Abram's as spoils of war. So there's a test of Abram's character here. In Egypt, Abram's character was tested. And he deceives Pharaoh. He doesn't, he doesn't do the right thing. But what does he do here? The king of Sodom says, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. You can keep the riches. I just want the people so I can still be a king. Verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. Why? Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let the others take their share. Abram stands firm. So what does he say again? Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abram is standing firm only by God's provision. Abram says, only by God's provision will I become a great nation. The promise that I will become a great nation has come from God, not from the king of Sodom. It's not earthly kings who are going to make Abram into a great nation. But it's the Lord God most high. God didn't call Abram, didn't give those promises to Abram, because of anything Abram had done. And now Abram is saying, if these promises are going to be fulfilled, it's God who's going to fulfill them. I don't want the king of Sodom to have any part of the claim. I'm only going to take the daily bread that my men need. Abram here is showing no greed. He acknowledges God's promises. He recognizes that it's God who is going to fulfill those promises. For the king of Sodom, later on in Genesis, we'll see that as he, as he curses, as he brings dishonor on Abram by saying, Give me what's rightfully yours. Sodom is destroyed by God. But Abram stands firm, knowing, acknowledging, and recognizing it's God who fulfills God's promises. Maybe he uses man to fulfill them, but it no, shouldn't be no part in man saying, I, I did that. Just cast it aside. It's God who's going to fulfill. 
So that made me, made me ask myself, when, when do I step away from that? When do I think, when do I try and step in? When do I allow God's promises to me to be fulfilled, but the blessing of them to be overshadowed? When do I trust that I can build myself up and elevate myself? When do I trust that I can save myself? When do I respond to a test of character like this and back down? Maybe take what the king of Sodom has on offer rather than standing firm. And even in standing firm, who is it? What is it that motivates us? Because we can be motivated by doing the right thing or we can be motivated by our love for God. Tomorrow, maybe as you go out to school, to college, to work, there could be a test of your character. Are you going to respond in the way that Abram did and say, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High? Or are you going to compromise. There are times when we will face these tests and we should pray. We should be ready for them. We should be asking God to help us when they do come and help us to be motivated by our love for him and to see his promises fulfilled. And just as, we, just as we close, Abram, we see Abram's reward for, for following along, following what God has for him. There are times we've seen when he's stepped away from it, but here he's back. Here he's believing. Here he's following. And in Romans 4, we see that this is credited to him as righteousness. As we go along our path, following our great king and high priest, Jesus, one of the order of Melchizedek, the eternal king sat at God's right hand. As we grow, as we follow in that journey, as we encourage one another, as we grow, as we face these trials and look to God for help, our reward eventually is in heaven. And to one day hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. But that takes more than just giving a tenth of all we have, as Abram did to Melchizedek. We sang before, I'll stand, my heart, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. And I just want to close with another quote from Spurgeon as he was um, writing about these verses. And in particular, that verse where Abram gives a tenth of all he had to Melchizedek. Spurgeon said, take not tithes 
O Lord, but take all. Take all of me. Let's make that our prayer this week, that we can encourage each other, that we can refresh each other, we can build each other up. But most of all, that we wouldn't offer a part of ourselves to God, but we'd offer our all so that we could stand firm as Abram did. Amen.